Okay, nobody's done it yet. I guess they saved it for me. He is risen. Amen. Amen. I have never preached on Easter before. Some of you know I love to play the game, the card game, Euchre. Euchre is the most fun for me when I'm playing with friends who like to talk a little smack while we're playing. Some people even get derogatory nicknames. Like if your name was, say, Luke. And you had a tendency to get euchred a lot. We might call you Luker. <laughs> One of my go-to smack talk lines that I use in Euchre is used when I over-trump my opponent. I will say, don't send a boy. The phrase is, of course, referring to the secular proverb, don't never send a boy to do a man's job. I've never preached on Easter before. That assignment's always reserved for the man. And don't hear me wrong, the last thing I'm trying to suggest today is that I've reached the status of the man. Rather, what I am saying is that I realize the absolute crucial nature of the message of Easter to the institution of Christianity and to the faith of Christians. Our text today makes that abundantly clear. We're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I am going to be jumping around a little bit, so you might want to just follow along on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day, according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Skipping to verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ 
whom he did not raise. If it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Skipping ahead. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we come today to celebrate truth, to celebrate that you have had victory over death, that you are risen. And we serve you today as a risen Savior. We thank you for the chance to open your word today, to remember the truths that we learn there. And I just pray, Lord, as we open up your word, You, by your Holy Spirit, by your Holy Spirit, God, work, take my little offering, and by your Spirit, turn it into words of power, words that speak and change hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's exciting to think that today on Easter, all over the world, millions of people are gathering, or have already gathered, to worship Jesus for rising from the dead. But sadly, for many, probably even For a majority of those people. The resurrection does not have any significant impact on their everyday life. Many of us gathered in this room today have heard this Easter message year after year. You can quote the verses. But I ask you to consider today. 
Has it changed the way you live your life on an everyday basis? Today, I'd like to look first at the claims of the resurrection and then ask the question, in light of these claims, what is required of me? What are the demands of the resurrection? So first, we're going to look at the significant claims concerning the resurrection. They'll be going up on the screen. First one, number one, the tomb was empty. We start off with an easy claim. I say it's easy because no one really disputes it. The historical accounts show that the Roman officials, the Jewish leaders, and the followers of Jesus all agreed that the tomb was empty. Luke 24, verses 1 and 2 say, Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb, bringing the fragrant spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. The tomb was empty. Everyone agreed. The second claim of the resurrection. Jesus really died. Crucifixion was effective. And the Romans were good at it. One historical account says that the Roman general Varus crucified 2,000 Jews in the year 4 BC. In the case of Jesus, his preparation for crucifixion included flogging as ordered by Pontius Pilate. Flogging normally consisted of 39 lashes. That alone often left a man on the edge of death. John 19 verses 31 through 34 say, Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus, here's the key part, and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Now, if Jesus were only feigning death, surely a spear plunged into his side would have revealed his true state. And yet, the soldiers declared him dead. The third claim of the resurrection, Jesus rose from the dead. 
Jesus predicted it. An angel announced it. And the risen Christ confirmed it. Jesus predicted it in Mark 9, 31. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Then an angel announced it in Luke 2 or in Luke 24, excuse me. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. And then the risen Christ confirmed it. In Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 46, it says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the, for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You've seen it with your own two eyes. The fourth claim of the resurrection. The Roman guard and seal were put there for the specific purpose of wanting to be able to debunk false claims. Matthew chapter 27 Starting at verse 62, says the next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive that after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Breaking that Roman seal could have only been done after getting past the Roman guard and would have subjected oneself to the wrath of the Roman Empire. Jerome, in his commentary on Matthew, points out that the greater their precautionary care the more fully is revealed the power of the resurrection. They did us a favor by setting that seal and placing that guard. Claim number five of the resurrection. He appeared to more than 500 people. 
from our text today in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. More than 500 witnesses attest to seeing the risen Christ. These are the claims of the resurrection. Let's hear another one. Number six, his disciples supported the claims. Eleven disciples, among others, lived the rest of their lives post-resurrection in allegiance to this risen Savior. Many of them died horrible deaths for the sake of the gospel, all based on their eyewitness experience of seeing that Jesus really did rise from the dead. The accounts of the lives of many of these disciples is included in the Bible as well as other historical documents. Those disciples were the original recipients of the great commission of Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. And they did it. No one would have dreamed in the days after the crucifixion of Christ that this tiny band of followers would so successfully carry out the great commission that just three centuries later, Christianity would be the official faith of the empire. But along the way, many of them lived lives of denial and suffering. We're told that Paul was beaten, imprisoned, stoned, starved, lost at sea, and daily in danger of all kinds of evil on his journeys through the Roman Empire. The lives and the deaths of the eyewitnesses shout out to us still today. We know what we saw. He is risen. And our seventh final claim concerning the resurrection is that his brothers believed he was the Messiah. The relationship of brothers is known for its closeness. Sports teams brag about being more than a team. We're brothers. Brothers know everything about each other, good and bad. So think about James, the half-brother of Jesus. He, along with his brothers, 
rejected the faith while Jesus was still alive. At least that's the indications we get in the scripture from passages like John chapter 7. There it says, so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then the key verse, verse five, for not even his brothers believed in him. So during his life, they reject him as the Messiah. But after Jesus was crucified, James converted to Christianity. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, that Jesus appears to his brother James after his resurrection. Subsequently, we hear of James worshiping with the believers in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 14. And later, of course, James pens the epistle of James. So we ask, Would someone who was so skeptical of his brother's messiahship that he neglected to believe throughout his earthly ministry then make a profession of faith that affected the rest of his life based on something he knew to be a lie? And remember... James was stoned to death for his faith. The claims of the resurrection. There's a bunch of them. But I ask us today, so what? And I want to look today, secondly, at what I call the demands of the resurrection based on those claims. The first demand of the resurrection, you must, every one of you, you must either accept or reject the claims as truth. Our text says in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. None of us wants to be scammed. There's so many scams going around today. We've all seen them. Student loan forgiveness scams. Cryptocurrency scams. Disaster relief scams. COVID cure scams. But imagine this scenario. You get a letter in the mail, not email. It's a real letter written on letterhead of a law firm. They have your full name and address. And the letter is even, it even has correct grammar and punctuation. 
The letter claims that you've inherited over a million dollars from a long lost relative and it gives the name, but you don't recognize it. It seems legit. Now tell me that you wouldn't at least call the number to try to find out if it was legit or not. There's just too much to lose if it was true. And you didn't at least check out the veracity of the claim. That's how I see the claims of the resurrection. There are just far too many ramifications for this life and the one to come to not at least investigate the claims and make a decision for yourself. To ignore them is just too big a price if indeed they could even possibly be true. I know people who only buy lottery tickets when the jackpot reaches a certain amount. If the jackpot reaches a billion dollars, there's a few that have gone that high, it becomes worth it in their mind to buy a ticket because, as they say, you can't win it if, you're, aren't, if you aren't in it. So I believe that is only rational that every person on the face of this planet should for themselves examine and then either reject or accept the claims of the resurrection. If you conclude that there's not enough evidence to support the claims, then okay. I can respectfully disagree with you, but please don't just ignore the claims. You've got too much to lose. Secondly, the claims of the resurrection demand from us that if you reject those claims as truth, you must explain away some difficult history. Jesus is an undeniable historical fig- figure. No one denies his life or his death by crucifixion. If he wasn't truly dead, then how did he recover so quickly from the flogging, the nails in his hands and feet, the pierced side? How do you explain away over 500 witnesses seeing this risen Christ with their own two eyes? And then... You must explain why his disciples and brother would live the rest of their lives in self-denial and suffering, and many of them die horrible deaths, all for a cause that they, in actuality, knew to be a hoax. The resurrection demands 
that you explain away the history. And finally, if in response to the claims of the resurrection, you accept the truth, you must surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Your life must look different because it changes everything. One of my favorite biblically-based movies is called Risen. It was put out by Sony Pictures back in 2016. It portrays the days immediately after the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The main character in the movie is the Roman centurion who's been tasked with finding the body of Jesus in order to prove that he did not, in fact, raise from the dead. My favorite scene in the movie shows this Roman centurion questioning the apostle Bartholomew and trying to find out where the body of Jesus is. Bartholomew is explaining to him that right now the followers of Jesus are small in number. And then he looks at the centurion with a look of indescribable an incomparable joy on his face. And concerning the resurrection, he exclaims, but this, this changes everything. The appropriate response to a truly resurrected Jesus Christ is surrender of your life to him. Like Bartholomew, we should conclude this changes everything. I teach middle school Sunday school. Last week in class, we covered the crucifixion and the death of Christ. As I shared with the students in class, a description a description of the torture and suffering Jesus endured on the cross. I ended by reading John chapter 15, verse 13. It choked me up as I read it. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture is found in Luke 23, 39. It's the words of one of the two criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus. That verse says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. I call this the impossible request. Save yourself and us. 
It was a request that not even the Son of God could grant. Save yourself and us. Impossible. He could either save himself. Do you think I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? Or he could save us by dying in our place. He chose us. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. The old timers in the crowd will remember the words to the hymn when I survey the wondrous cross. It says love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Will you surrender your soul, your life, your all to Jesus today? If you accept the resurrection as truth, then that truth demands it. And the good news is that you will soon see that that changes everything. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we praise you today as a most powerful God who has victory over death that you raised your son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. Lord, as we think through the claims of the resurrection, every one of us is faced with the decision. And I pray today especially, Lord, for those that have maybe never made that decision yet. Lord, as they consider the truth, that is shared in your word, that you died in their place, in my place. Jesus, we want to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that you paid the penalty for my sins. I pray, Jesus, that you would help me 
to realize that that changes everything. That I walk in newness of life. And that you want to live through me and use me to be the light of the world as you were the light of the world. Lord, we surrender our lives to you and ask you to use us in whatever way you choose to make us more like Jesus. We've got a long way to go, God, but we know that you want to change everything about us and make us like Jesus. We surrender to you today in his precious and powerful name. Amen.